Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning. And uh, we're happy you can join us in letting the music be your master. We are your humble servants, Brandon Arnold. Jason Johnson. And Jordan Harmon. And we are here uh, under self-quarantine in my dad's garage. Dad's bunker, you mean. In Dad's bunker, yeah. Well, it's not it's not underground, but it's as close as we can close as we get. There is a map of the world hanging on the wall with uh, some some thumbtacks put in in certain places. Good places to hide. Or and, and we've patient got some, zero. Type and we've locations. got some podcast pirate radio equipment. I think we're ready. Yeah. We're, so we're here for you. We're one tinfoil hat away from. <laughs> <laughs> Need to get a ham radio. That's right. Um. All right. This is we're we're going forward. We're we're doing this anyway because we're we're dedicated. So 1990s. We're gonna we're gonna dive into our our top picks of the 1990s. Looks like Jordan's working on his list right now. I've on, got it on, I'm on just, one of his 11D cell phones. I'm just I'm just going over one of my 11 phones and oh my finalized sure list ready. is on the other phone. Oh dang it! <laughs> oh, this making year, sure I got dates. Rough, rough <laughs> Okay. Uh, where are we going? Anyone have ninety? Nineteen ninety? Or are we going to talk about the decade? Or are we just going to jump in? Let's uh, let's. Should we just jump in and then summarize it after? Well, one thing we'll say: we had Steve Ricks on last time. Yeah. And we kind of had the realization. I think one of us, maybe myself, I don't know, made the comment that for Steve, he was super knowledgeable of the eighties stuff in a way that we were not. Um, but the eighties for him was like what the nineties is to us. Uh, we were born. In the late 70s, 78 for me, 77 for Brandon. You don't need to get into that. Serious. You, no, this you is important. Share, share our address so sure, sure. for I'll credit sh- cards under my information. But the, the point is, like, we were, the 90s was the music, the decade when we were turned, like, in junior high, high school, early college years. When we were buying our own albums. Yeah. Going to shows. We became right. consumers and we became decision makers and we went yep. and found our music and bought it. With our paper out money, um, yeah. the uh, I don't. Fi- I, Steve's a savant. Like his '80s knowledge is better than my '90s knowledge. I'm certain of that. Yeah. His '90s knowledge is probably better than my '90s knowledge. But um, I, I want to start. I do want to start making one addendum. I don't know if this is possible, but I made a mistake in the '80s, and I need to correct it because I thought it was going to oh, work yeah, out in better. the '90s. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm changing Night of the Living Bassheads by Public Enemy, so I was holding on to Fight the Power. What do you mean you're changing? Wait, that episode's over. I know. I'm addending my <laughs> 80s list because I got it wrong. Fight the Power Wait. came out in 89 Fight the on Power's, the soundtrack to... Uh, yeah, it straddled a decade. It came out... Sorry if this rips anybody's 90s list, but it came out on the soundtrack to Do the Right Thing, one of my favorite movies, Spike mm. Lee movie. And then it was released on album in 90. Technically, it's an 89 song. I, I ch- officially changed because the opening line is 1989, a number. Mm-hmm. Uh. That, I can't call that a 90s song. It's like my favorite protest, press, protest song ever. I am inserting it into my 80s list in place of Night of the Living Bass Heads, and it frees okay. up a spot on my 90s list. So I just wanted to... Uh, <laughs> oh, I see. To, to, I see. Thanks for, thanks for clarifying Very that. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to be able to show it, and I feel bad. Like I feel like oh. I owe an, an explanation to Public Enemy if Chuck D ever listens to this. He, um, well, he has been listening. He emailed me about it. So, that's all. Yeah. He tweeted me to my personal phone. All I, right. <laughs> Let's get started. <laughs> uh, 1990. Who's got one? 
Um, I don't. My er, my first one is ninety two. Okay, I've got a ninety one. As do I. Okay. Do you want to go first? I'll go first. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to start is off. It, is it Bonnie Prince Billy? Was he doing stuff back then? Uh, I don't think. That's, that's the not, catch today. Every not. song Jordan's picking is a Bonnie Prince Billy song. <laughs> no, that'll be, that'll be next decade. So, Bonnie Prince Billy was doing stuff in the 90s, but I'm, I'm, I'm holding him off until Are you 2000s. happy with your 90s list? Which is more listenable, your 90s list or your 80s list right now? My 90s list. I kind of agree. I feel the same way. Well, I, I just. They're both lists. All my lists are right. listenable. But which one? Just would all you... my lists are superb oh in every way. <laughs> to your list. Just kidding. Okay, uh, I I would rather listen to my '90s list. I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. But I I would listen to both and will listen. I, to both. I have been even after recording the last episode. I've been listening to our collective '80s list mm-hmm. quite a bit. Oh, nice on the Spotify. Yeah. Nice. Very cool, very cool. So I'm going to start us off with 1991 from a little band called Soundgarden mm. uh, from Seattle, Washington. This, of course, the 90s was the decade of grunge, and the early years especially were, I think, good years of grunge, and it kind of turned into something not as great. But um, Soundgarden... Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Brandon's going to do a whole episode about Bush. <laughs> <laughs> Candle box. <laughs> okay, so Soundgarden had this uh, this Live. album called Bad Motor Finger, and um, actually, this is one of the first concerts I went to. Not Bad Motor Finger, but I went to the Super Unknown concert with uh, with Adam and my older brother Josh and his friend Scott, and that was in Ogden, and it was it was a, it was a pretty awesome experience. Anyway, this is a song from the album before that called. Bad Motor Finger. The song is called Rusty Cage. It's 1991. And what I love about this song, it's got the kind of that, it's the up-tempo grunge kind of muscular rock. I love that it kicks ass. (laughs) And I love the tempo change and the feel change. It like slows down into something different. And so we've got to... Cool enough that Johnny Cash even covered it. Yeah, it's very cool. bring it down so and coming up in a minute or so is this this cool time change thing that i'm talking about or tempo change but do we want to say anything about grunge right now this is oh, the, the I've got, seattle I've got sound a lot of thoughts yeah. I, yeah. I feel like though this might be an unpopular take i feel like this is this album is the pinnacle mm-hmm. of grunge mm-hmm. and also where grunge officially pivots after this and turns into 
parody and kind what? of imploded on itself. In 1991? Yes. That's where it... That's a little pivots. early. Yes. I told you that. Popular opinion. What, what came before this that was grunge then? De- so, <laughs> we'll talk, we'll talk this, more. This it, album is the beginning and ending of yes. the first album? It is. It, it is. This thing... Okay, wait. Oh no, that's not it. That's not it. Okay, keep it going. Let's hear. Things, you, let's things hear your, take a problematic turn. Let's after hear your unpopular things, opinion. Things take a problematic turn after this First album of, all, we need of to... overproduction and selling out. I, Okay. This I love this album. This is my first band T-shirt was Soundgarden, Bad Motor Finger. My dad hated it because he thought it said "Bad Mother Effer." Yeah. On it. <laughs> Which yeah. Yeah. There's there's. This, uh, this, I feel like this, this is the the after this. The the do-it-yourself ethic of grunge rock is gone. Like, everything after this, I feel like, is overproduced. Well, everything became popular. Right. I mean, this this ushered in... I mean, Nevermind came out in what year? But before this, you have... Okay, the, here we you go. You have Louder Than Love. Turn it I remember hearing that as like a as a band band nerd or yeah. whatever, you know, and listening to like a rock band that's doing a tempo change and a style change and thinking like, oh, that's cool. Like I hadn't really heard that in the music of the day, you right. know. Like the Beatles did stuff like that, different bands have done that. Yeah. But at the time when I was just getting to music, I didn't know of popular bands that were doing time change. It, it field was changes. cool. So one of the things I love about these guys, um, whenever there's a, a really big voiced front man that kind of sings in that higher register, if they're singing rock, there's a temptation to do just like a really bad Robert Plant impersonation. And Chris Cornell easily could have become like a just a bad. Robert Plant mm-hmm. impersonator. He right. had the hair, he had the voice, but he he really I felt like always kept his voice very unique to him. Right. And that that Chris Cornell's voice is it's an amazing, all-time, amazing all, voice. All-time yeah. great. Um yeah. great uh who was it? Kim Thale, great guitarist, Matt mm-hmm. Cameron. Matt drummer, Cameron, Ben Shepard, ben Shepard. bass it's player. A, it's, a, yeah. it's a great group. It's a tight group. Um so last episode in the eighties we were we mentioned towards the end that none of us had included any uh, hair metal slash butt rock mm-hmm. in our top ten, which is somewhat problematic if we're trying to be objective chroniclers of what was going on in the in the decade because that was a huge genre. It was. I mean, uh, you think Guns and Roses? Chron- chronicling get... is different than preserving. That's true. We we were just. It's true, but it it does make it difficult to to reference to situate. the changes, yeah, 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 and that kind of stuff historically. So in the eighties, the bands that were really huge in that in that realm, Guns and Roses, Def Leppard, um, who else had? Well, you really had big, really big hits. Motley like, Crue, yeah, Motley like Crue, Motley Crue, Poison, Cinderella. Cinderella kind of on the fringe, White snake. but yeah, they were like almost older then. But you had like there's like a hundred of them that sound yeah. almost exactly the same. W- Warrant, Winger, Rat, Poison, yeah. like name your name your butt rock group. Yeah. Isn't there like but Firehouse Subs or something they like that? They, they all have huge, kind of the same guitar sounds, uh, mostly the same vocals. There wasn't much that was poetic or nuanced yeah. to anything that they 
did. There wasn't like a complexity to their song. There, there rarely was a depth of music or lyric. But lot, lots of like the look was all similar to lots of like tight leather, permed. It was part. It was hair. party rock. Let's get girls rock or power balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we had we mentioned like trying to think of who was there a band that was the uh, that was more serious or the shining you know of. Oh, the best of that. Well, what was the? We uh, said Guns N' Roses was uh, the like, movie. Oh, the Silence of the Lambs. What's the Silence of the Lambs yeah. of that genre? Couldn't think of it. After listening to this album for the '90s, I was thinking maybe Soundgarden's that. I think they seem to bridge the bridge the divide. They're the uh, the uh, what is it from when you go from the missing link. Yeah, from ape to ma- to human. <laughs> so you have you have Soundgarden and Alice in Chains kind of simultaneously straddling mm-hmm. the 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 aisle of like almost butt rock, but not quite butt rock. It's getting darker. It's and getting grungier. Yeah, it's getting dar- dirtier they, and darker. Basically, like from what I um, from what I consider grunge, and even even at the time, like I I really liked. Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins when they came out. I didn't like Soundgarden as much, and I wonder if it's because they sounded more like, just on the surface, they sounded more like butt mm-hmm. rock to me. Yeah. And so, like. And kind of had the, that look had the, still. The longer and he's hair, got the voice. The... Yeah. So, ironically. But I think they are taking it to, to a higher level. Mm-hmm. Like, they are not. They're way above Motley Crue. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. for in, sure. In but talent, the, well, they in would the stuff be like, that they're trying they to do. They would be, like, closer to almost like. So, the first four Metallica albums are. are are kind of unique. They kind of exist by themselves. Um, I think even within the the style of music and like early Soundgarden, I felt like almost connected more to that to Metallica piece type. of yeah, yeah than they that. did to Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. But ironically, that they were the first ones that I connected to because I had friends whose older brothers were really into um, like early metal. And these guys immediately, more so than any of the other grunge bands early, were the ones that I gravitated to. And it was because I had this kind of early metal chapter where I'd been mm-hmm. listening to And Justice for All and Master of Puppets, like mm-hmm. e- even like Slayer, Rain and Blood, which is a bizarre album to listen to now. Like that prepped me for Bad Motor Finger somehow, mm-hmm. like way more than Dr. Feelgood did by. Motley Crue. Yeah. What, yeah. A, what an incredible rock uh, detour. Yeah. Exploring the, <laughs> the the butt rock roots of grunge. I know. It's, it's, but the, it's so I, much... I guess I think the other important thing that was that somehow felt like it gave grunge a little more credibility. In most cases, it was a direct like separation and response from the butt rock. Like they were trying to rebel against the kind of the corporate sellout side of mm-hmm. of that kind of hair metal mm-hmm. world which so willingly kind of embraced the MTV mm-hmm. and I guess selling out aspect of, of rock which is ironic because grunge fully ended up selling out on itself I think sure mm-hmm. well everything kind of implodes on itself every trend becomes commercialized or whatever yeah once something's big then they're like oh let's do that it's now. lame now yeah, yeah. I, I'm, um, I'm worried I feel like Brandon's gonna hate my whole list he's gonna be upset with me he might be. What? Part part of this change is from? it's not just the music change; it's the cul- it's the cultural change, like the eighties. I don't think I'm going to be preserving the stuff he wants preserved. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you preserve what you want, all right? <laughs> do, do our lists do our lists like reside? 
peacefully with one another in space, or is there yeah, like, is there a battle? Are they trying to like smash into each other in space and, and destroy for one one final list? Like the Highlander list, there can be only one. <laughs> I think I think it's been no decapitated I think it's been lists. The, uh, it's like having the four gospels, you know. You gotta have all. <laughs> gotta have all of them. It's not just, just like that. Just having. It's just <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, this. Uh, let me just play my next pick since Let's it goes it. right along with this. Let's hear it. And since apparently, you guys are uh, gonna skip the most obvious pick of the decade. <laughs> I told. See, I told you. And what is it? Oh, cool. Pearl Jam. Brandon, I was counting on you. I was counting on you for this. So that's why I picked Soundgarden because I thought. Me being an educator? Well, yeah, I, I thought Brandon's going to pick this so I don't have to. Because oh. I honestly, I will be honest, and I know Jason doesn't like this, but I, I like Nirvana better than Soundgarden now. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was close, but I liked Soundgarden a little, a little better. But now, I'd rather listen to, to Nirvana. And I think that's because I'm not as metally, you know. I like the kind of the way they 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 were they had this. Uh, there was there was more poppiness I, I think to Nirvana. Rick's, I think Rick's nailed a, a good comparison when he talked about them in reference to the Pixies, how mm-hmm. they would balance the acoustic yeah, and then yeah. the kind of the anger and the emotion and the heavy distortion, mm-hmm. like even in the same song. Right. There's more clarity. There's a. It's more radio friendly. It's weird to say it's poppy. It's not poppy, but, but at the same is. time, it is. It kind of yeah. is. There's, it's like the 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 uh, what's the word? The, the hooks mm-hmm. are very like repeatable, and I, there's something I respect about that. In in you know, I like a song. So that who was that? I didn't catch. You, you didn't say. Wow, who that's it was. A, that's a funny joke, Jason. <laughs> uh, Thank so, you. Yeah, the, this is the one of uh, of all my picks that I thought. I mean, on the one hand, but for the record, we are educating a younger generation. In certain cases, they may need to be told. But of all my picks, this is the one that they all know about. Like I teach high school, I uh, I can play the song on the guitar, and every if I play it, every kid's like they know it. This is one of the songs from the '90s that everybody knows. This and Enter Sandman, and there's probably a few others. But some of those have stood the test of time in that way that they're instantly recognizable to. The, the current generation, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, so there's there's something to say about that. Do but you, probably because of that, I was like, well, maybe on my picks I can sh- share things that people don't already know about. But it was the, I was it saying, was, it was an important thing. It was, it was not important enough. Yeah, that was huge. I changed the music world. Nirvana changed I, so much. I have such a weird relationship with this album. I've I have 
made up and then broken up with this album 10 different times. Right now, I'm kind of in the middle of a breakup with it. Like six months ago, I think I was. <laughs> well, still, you're I feeling was hurt because you reached back out. I was listening to and, it, <laughs> and, then and, you, and then you get a text from it, being like, "Yeah." What, and then the album's like, "Sure, we'll hang out." And then it's like, "No, we don't need it, you." It reminds what the thing well, is, and it, and it just, starts getting too demanding. I I see myself. No, it's the opposite. The album doesn't need it. Every now and again, I step outside of myself, and I can see myself like with it, and I'm like, I don't know if that's a good couple like i don't know if that's a good fit a good match and i said you know what maybe we are better apart and we spend a little time apart absence makes the heart grow fonder and then you get the uh, you get the late yeah. night text of you up and you're like eh, okay and you and you fired up and next thing you know okay, you're listening maybe i am to, in bloom in right bloom now. and listen <laughs> maybe i'm gonna come you. as you are <laughs> oh my goodness so i think what we need to mention here um is what a jerk I am? No. Fair uh, what what is it about grunge that that uh, defines it as a as a genre? Um, and also, what else was going on in the, in the music world at this at this time? So I just uh, pulled up the Billboard's uh, year end Hot 100 singles of 1991. Uh, number one song of the year. Mm-hmm. Everything I do, I do it for you by Brian Adams. Hmm. Followed by, I want to sex you up. Color me bad. <laughs> Gonna make you sweat. Everybody dance now. Rush Rush by Paula Abdul. Uh, unbelievable. EMF. More than words. Extreme. Oh, yeah. I remember that Baby one. Baby. Amy Grant. Motown <clears throat> Philly. Boys to Men. So. It's not even on there. Stu- yeah. A lot of stuff that, uh, from a distance, Bette Midler. Mm-hmm. Whitney Houston. Um, Which Whitney Houston's on? So, like, my image of the 90s like when i'm thinking of what's going to go on my list i'm like well the 90s are like way angstier than uh than the 80s were or any of the decades like so much of at least the music that i but it wasn't the the 90s that you that were, was it was you were a teenager i was angsty. Yeah, i was gonna yeah. say but this was the adolescent response yeah. to that and especially like if you know so kurt cobain is from aberdeen washington i live 15 lived up- miles away from my hometown yeah, yeah, well, that's right. yeah, yeah. So I lived up there for a while. In mm-hmm. fact, I was just up there a couple months ago and went and mm-hmm. visited. I drove by, past his house because mm-hmm. um, I needed to remind myself. I think that was the last time I made up with this oh, album. I yeah, needed yeah. to remind myself. Well, yeah, when you drive past their house. So, so Aberdeen's this small logging community. It's a pretty legitimately depressing town. And if you're a, an angsty teenager living in in that area, nothing on that list you just read even remotely represents your existence and just the the angst and the um uh, like the existential angst i think that you would feel there and so he started writing poetry he started writing songs um that represented who he was and how he felt and it kind of captured this um i think this common almost feeling of like nothingness and apathy that I think a lot of kids of that generation felt they had parents that I think, you know, a lot of middle class parents that were working hard and this population of kids that had basic needs being met. But I think in a lot of cases were weren't necessarily being, you know, having all their emotional needs met. And it, it became this weird time like Generation X comes out of this group, which is like early on the hallmark was just general apathy. Like, wasn't that really the original characteristic of of generation x was indifference yeah 
I think in the eighties were kind of uh, the 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 era of right Reagan and and a return to kind of ambition and greed is good and uh, Steve played for us or mentioned that song by um, Oingo Boingo. It's kind of the capitalism, capitalism song yeah. where you have like it's cool to like to be into like market economics. They're coming up and, to Alex P. Keaton and Family yeah, Ties, yeah. where you were like supposed to be this right this mo- money grabbing. Here's a here's a backlash where instead of looking nice and clean and having all this stuff, it's like. You don't care. You're wearing grungy, dirty clothes, but you also have a like a sweater vest on or a sw- or a cardigan, you know, or whatever. Which I was going to say for the record, that's one of the things I like about Nirvana the most is I'm a cardigan guy. <laughs> just just so to put it the out cardigan there, cardigan with the flannel shirt tied around your waist. Yeah, there's that. There's that too. But one of the things that's interesting about Kurt Cobain is the kind of contradictions that people talk about with him in in that he had that total outsider contrarian persona of you know like the punk kind of mindset and doing things totally different and that's what people uh, were drawn to but he also kind of wanted to be heard and popular Why did but he didn't it was like this weird and, and like wanting to be popular I mean, not wanting to be popular listening to the melvins and the pixies and the mm-hmm. beatles like the stooges yeah, yeah. like uh, like great punk but also raised listening to that the came out two years before this album well fair enough but his impression influenced it, by influenced right by. You're, you're more impressionable at different yeah. eras of your life yeah. and that hit him at a very so impressionable what do you guys point. think it is about that song specifically that made it such a huge hit at the time powerful so powerful. this is part like this is part of my thing this will come up again it was it was really well produced. Like they made a song that you could play on a radio station. The first album doesn't sound quite like that. No, this was produced at Sound City by Butch Vig. Like this was produced on the same equipment in the same studio that Fleetwood Mac's Rumors mm-hmm. was produced on. And that's one of the challenging ironies I have about this. Like that is so not grunge. Like the grunge ethos is like it is pushing back against everything corporate and it turned into this like bloated overproduced thing and it didn't I, become I think grunge was, until, it became, until it became until it became popular you know I don't what i mean necessarily either um i like the way this sounds more than in utero mm-hmm. so this sound Which the production on this i know he was trying to get back to the Right, but the production on this, I think, is part of what made it blow up. It sounded like every drum hit and every bass hit is so crystal clear. It does this this album doesn't sound like a garage band. It sounds like a Beatles production, and so you could play it on any radio station. MTV could be comfortable playing it. I think it captured a really important cultural piece. There was this this kind of youth movement, cultural zeitgeist that that existed that this tapped into very very perfectly mm-hmm. which is why i think it's really important that you did preserve it because this was very representative of, of culturally how mm-hmm. a group felt felt but then it, it it did become this thing that was so also perfectly ripe for distribution consumption and I- integration yeah into everything yeah yeah what, what stands out to me about it I think it did at the time and still does now that I think makes it a great song. Um, it is definitely catchy. Uh, the intro to it is still so exciting. The way mm-hmm. that it comes in with just that, that clean guitar 
all by itself. And then when Dave Grohl comes in with those drums, they are so and, and I like so I like heavy. I like Dave drums. Grohl as a drummer better than I do as a guitarist. Yeah, he yeah. he hits his drums so hard. This yeah. is a three three person band, yeah. powerful then, tight songs. You know, you got that drum intro, mm-hmm. and then it comes into the the first kind of chorus um, with the when that uh, when he hits the fuzz box. Whatever that distortion yeah. pedal is he's using, so something about that was was really exciting and, and still is. It it just gets you pumped here and there, yeah. um, and it's got the simplicity. I think the simplicity of it is what makes it different from uh, from the metal that came before, because they're not doing like riffs and scales, uh, and he's not doing these wicked guitar solos. It's four chords that he's doing over and over. What do you think this lyrically? What do you think it's saying? Wah wah wah. That's what I think. It kind of is, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Which kind of bums me out. Well, but it's it's also different from um, from the metal stuff. Right. Depends whether you're talking about Metallica or Guns N' Roses type stuff. But like the the hair metal stuff is all about. Look how awesome I am! We're gonna get it on all night long. Mm-hmm. I like the way you look, baby. That kind—that's of, their lyrics. There's more melancholy. There's yeah. more angst. There's more depression. So the grunge I associate more with introspection, more sarcasm. Right, but is there introspection yeah. in that song? I don't know. I don't. But I don't, I, which there doesn't have to be. Or in there doesn't which have, doesn't to, have to be. Know. I mean, like the Cocteau Twins aren't even singing lyrics, but they're yeah. emoting. They're yeah. they're communicating something, and maybe that's sim- more similar to like what's happening here. The lyrically, it doesn't matter, but the the lyrics come together as part of the whole medium, and it's communicating yeah. a feeling. It's communicating yeah. an experience, like his experience, and it yeah, obviously none of, none of his lyrics are really clear. What what's going on? Right. Especially this song, I think. Um, it's an important song, important album, but important band. Looking at yeah. 92's list, because this, this album came out not just the same year as Soundgarden, same day. Yeah. Oh, really? September 24th. So that's that's my 91. It's a good nice. pick. It's I know pick. I'll make up with the album again. I know I will. I've got an original pressing on vinyl. As, it's beautiful. As songs go, I, I like Heart Shaped Box better. But as I listen to it, I wish the drums you, were higher up in the mix. I miss yeah. hearing Dra- Dave Grohl hit those like a beast. But uh, what do you got, Jason? Is uh, that, do you have another 91? I have or? another 91. Oh, okay. Yep. This is uh, one of my more poppy picks from the decade. Um, speaking of Under the Bridge, I was going to pick that, but I didn't. I I replaced it with this one. They're both very poppy, vo- both like prolifically on the radio throughout the decade. This is uh, Lenny Kravitz. This was my favorite song to hear at Seven Peaks, walking around. It just made me feel I did not really excited a Lenny about Kravitz song uh, on anyone's did list. You, did you anticipate a Seven Peaks reference? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Lenny Kravitz, It Ain't Over Till It's Over, 1991. Wow. This is the most contrasting, probably, song of my list in terms of how different it is it's more poppy more Mm -hmm. but i loved it every time i heard it for some reason i think of public pools and seven peaks every time i heard this song gross why do you know i think think that's just where i I, that's where i heard it when i think of public pools i just think about like used band-aids floating and squishy wet carpet that you have to walk on up it's all of that it's all of that (laughs) and this beautiful song
I've ever listened to a good mix of this. It sounds mm-hmm. really good, like mm-hmm. through the through the mixer, everything's yeah. really clear. It's a good song. It's a good song. Yeah. You can hear clearly the Prince. That's another reason I chose it is because mm-hmm. I'm kind of tailing off of my decade champ of Prince, and you can hear the lineage. You can hear yeah. Prince in Lenny Kravitz, and and that was not you know Lenny Kravitz was pretty open about being very inspired by Prince. Uh, but I love that song, 1991. Definitely has a good place in my heart. I think it should be preserved, and we don't need to say much more about it. We can move on from there. All right, just a couple more things I want to say about yeah. Lenny Crap. No, Let's hear it. Story. Let's hear your opinions. Uh, I'm not, Yeah, he's he's fine. Okay. Okay, 92. Uh, 92, my first one. Oh, here we go. Uh, favorite a favorite band. People are. This is a band that probably. Like, if you have a band that surprises people when you tell them that you like them, this is probably that band for me, because I love this band. Uh, really important for me personally, the the lead singer is one of the most fascinating people I am aware of in music. Uh, it's a little band called Faith No More from their album Angel Dust, and I picked the song Everything's Ruined, which is probably one of the more palatable songs on the album this album is a trip faith no more is a, a weird band they're kind of metal they're kind of not metal uh mike Patton, their lead singer who well who became their lead singer is a genius he he combines grotesque and beauty like as well as anybody this whole album is simultaneously disgusting and beautiful it could be the soundtrack like it just listening to itself it by itself could be like a a horror movie type experience and this song is a little bit more like traditional pop but you'll still hear classic faith no more elements bouncing in the same song uh, a very thematic song between like almost operatic vocals and then almost like a rap style delivery heavy guitars beautiful piano um like a really good slap bass style really good musicians jim martin their guitarist who they ended up hating delivers great solos their drummer mike borden is a genius the whole package is i don't know that i've ever listened to this album it's disgusting and awesome i love it i know they're uh I almost Their earlier hit Epic. Yeah, is that so this year is this this is a little bit of a change. I almost picked Malpractice from this album. Malpractice is awful. It's about a, a person waking up mid surgery and realizing they're being aroused by the surgery. Um, but the so I went with a little more fan friendly. Um, everything's ruined. <laughs> hey, here we go. <laughs> it's faith no more.
He can switch gears on his voice so quick. It's incredible. Like <laughs> his voice gives me goosebumps. Mike Patton's the earliest um, musician that, that my friend Dwayne Henderson I referenced before. He and I kind of connected on, and still do. Like we'll we'll text each other obscure Mike Patton tracks at any given time. Mac, Mike Patton's in, including right here at this point of his career. At any given time, he's usually in like two or three bands or projects. He is very prolific, constantly just trying to create. And he's he's always got a lot going on, and he switches gears. I think better than anybody. Cool. Nice, I love this. Nice. We don't have time to get to it. The guitar solo at the end by Jim Martin is so like just it's such a great guitar solo. It's not overdone. It's very clean, and it's, I love the sound. Martin gets an incredible sound on his guitar. But th- I think this is one of the most unique albums of the decade. It's uh, it, I don't know if it's for everyone. If you're really into like music and you're not easily offended, it's a absolutely fascinating. Um, what's, what's the name of the album? Listen, it's called Angel Dust. It's got like um, Midlife Crisis is on that one. You may have heard. I of only it. I only know the Faith No More There's song couple, that was the the couple the song MTV I, video I that was popular, and I loved that song. But uh, that one's epic. <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, the name of the song. Yeah. Okay, I've got a '92. Um, I guess kind of along the same lines, uh, but still still pretty different. This is Rage Against the Machine, nice. um, fusing rock and rap together. Um, what's uh, what's the guy on Saturday Night Live that did the skit about that? Which is better, rock oh, or rap? It's Kyle Mooney, but <laughs> I, can't, Mooney, yeah. I can't remember <laughs> who he's. I think he's which being a character. character which character he is? Yeah, interviewing people on the street, and then finally comes to the conclusion that maybe that could be the best thing ever yeah, to, to combine. To to combine. <laughs> and uh, Rage did it, and they were uh, they were quite the phenomenon. 92, this album comes out. Spanish Fork Fairgrounds, man. Played at the Spanish Fork Fairgrounds. Were you there? Nope. I, uh, uh, I was there. I, I heard I was, a lot about it. I was supposed it, yeah. to be there, and uh, I was not able to go at the last minute. And to this day, I regret not going. So, yeah, I saw him. Do you know who opened for him, right? Gangstar. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. See, now I'm even more pissed. I chose for... This is not their, their hit single from, from the song. That would be... Killing in the name. Killing of. in the name of. Yeah, that one got a lot of radio play and got censored quite a bit at the end of it. Um, but my my favorite track from this album is "Wake Up." Um, I love the uh, I love what Tom Morello does on the guitars with this thing. And let's let's just hit this "Wake Up" by Rage Against the Machine.
De La Rocha on vocals, Timmy C on bass, Brad Wilk on drums, Tom Morello on guitar. These guys... That's good stuff. They're, they're all about... Like, every song in this album has a killer riff to it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of like the, the pattern. It'll follow some really cool riff, and then, like, another riff for the chorus, and then some kind of repetitive lyric for the chorus. And this, this album kind of set off a, a little bit of a storm when it came out. It made noise really quickly. Like, there was even a disclaimer, I remember, in the liner notes that said all the... That all the guitar sounds you heard were made by Tom Morello on his guitar. Like they had yeah. to give this disclaimer that there wasn't samples or pieces right. being overdubbed because he's he's really pretty innovative with some of the sounds he's making with his guitar. Like he could make his guitar sound like a turntable that was scratching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Often plays using a quarter or something instead of a pick. And Zach is the vocalist. Very, very political. Mm-hmm. All uh, as a band, protest they, they're kind of unified. Yeah, as a protest band. I remember they at Lollapalooza they refused to sell their shirts there because shirts were for, selling for like thirty bucks each. And they're like, we only sell our shirts for ten bucks, and Lollapalooza wouldn't accommodate that. So they're like, well, we're not selling them. There. So they're kind of taking that Fugazi style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ethic. So that's what I was gonna say. This the weird. Thing like I loved this album. Um, this album captured like my teen angst, probably the first one that really perfectly did. Like, I remember the first time I heard Killing in the Name of, and at the very end, it goes into this just repeated chant of F you, I won't do what you tell me over and over. And I just remember like feeling so, like, oh my gosh, they're saying it, and like kind of looking around, <laughs> make sure nobody can, like, I oh, want my dad's guitar though. how funky they were they had they were they were like hard rock but they were yeah, Tom they, they had a funk mm-hmm. kind of feel where yeah. their riffs were more syncopated than like a pearl jam Tom or is a, sound garden an actual genius and musical genius i mean he's a harvard grad isn't he mm-hmm. and then uh, musically he was he still makes really cool stuff next it's up. a good pick i like it i like that album i need to re- i need to listen to it again so we're still on 92 Yep. Okay, I've got one, and did we already listen to your 92, Jason? Yes. Okay, so my 92 comes from one of the more influential uh, female groups of the decade. Uh, TLC? Yes, no. I like TLC, though. No, this is a band that I made fun of quite a bit, because my sister loved them, and... 
I just I don't know why I made fun of them to her, but mm. I actually like them too. Um, so it's the Indigo Girls. Mm. So 1992, and uh, the the I chose the song that I like the most off of their 1992 album. Their their album. This album was called Rites of Passage. I think it's called. It's kind of that iconic cover of the the weird like poses and the makeup on their face. But the Indigo Girls were a popular 90s group, um, singer-songwriters out of Athens, similar to R.E.M. and, well, it's B-52s and some others. Anyway, Indigo Girls' song, this song that I like the most from, from them is from this album. It's called Ghost 1992. Solid songwriting, nice harmonies, and I've got. It's kind of a little bit of what's the word? Uh, uh, making amends for the years that I that I made fun of my sister for uh, for liking this group. They were they were famously out. They were lesbians. They weren't in a relationship themselves, but they were a popular group that was that was out of the closet and and um, played it a lot. Of, there was a whole movement in the '90s of like the Lilith Fair, all these kind of. Mm-hmm. Like female rock and singer-songwriter bands that would that would have the, do these festivals, and I think Indigo Girls were part of that, and many other bands. Uh, um, you mentioned Tracy Chapman. I thought I was going to put Closer to Fine on here, but that was from the '80s, actually. Mm. That song and that album, and I think they had two or three albums from the '80s. So I was a little surprised to know that. Um, anyway, that's that's the song. I don't know if you have any thoughts, Brandon or Jason, Indigo Girls. I, I never owned any of their stuff, but I, I liked it at the time. I never made fun of any, anybody for liking it. You didn't have an older sister was that was I had younger <laughs> listening sisters. to it all the time. Yeah, they were. I made fun of them for listening to Ace of Bass. Right. Wilson Phillips. Yeah. Yeah, if they were, I, I had people. Which, which I had, now, uh, same thing. Yeah. Looking back, like Ace of Bass came on one of the. Yeah. And you're like, the this 90s is radio, I'm like, I really like this song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out. Yeah. I had people in my life that the Indigo Girls were really important to, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. really, really important to. Um, and I always liked them, respected them. I never um, like super got into them. I don't right. think I've ever owned a single Indigo Girls album. 
Well, and I married someone who loves the Indigo Girls, and that was one of her favorite. Uh, you know, so I've I've listened to them more in my life yeah. since since then, and and grown to appreciate and love them. So, oh, good pick. Yeah. So that's my ninety two. Do we have any more ninety twos? Are we on to ninety three? No, I got a ninety three. I've got three ninety threes. That's my that's my year. I wow. guess. Um, I got ninety fours. Okay, let's go. I'll go one of my 93s. I'm so guessing you and I have probably three, have one off the same album. Maybe not. Um, Tribe Called Quest? Yeah, Midnight, Midnight Marauders. Marauders. Yeah, which song do you have? Um, I've gone back and forth. I almost last minute sacrificed this at the altar of music. There's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's an amend. There's some amends I'm going to make for great injustice that has occurred in hip hop. I think I can do it in the second half of the decade, though. So I'm going to stick with this. I, I'll go uh, 93 Tribe Called Quest, Electric Relaxation, off okay. of Midnight Marauders. Do you have a different Good track pick. off that album? I So I picked the very first track. Well, the very first track is the intro. Yeah. And then the, then I picked the first rapping track after that mm-hmm. called Sergeant Biko or Biko, yeah. whatever. It's Stir It Up. Yeah. I would love to listen to the intro because that So let's just combine intro, them together. Say what you want to say about Midnight Marauders. I'll... Okay. Add in any piece, and then we can listen to the two tracks. I'm sure you know more about it than I do. I, I just know that it's, it's a hip uh, tribe called Quest. I almost said De La Soul. Tribe called Quest is a very influential hip hop group from the '90s. Released great albums in the '90s. I don't know what your what, what was your thing. Three or four great albums. I think they yeah, released that, five for me and four or five great albums. Is the hardest in the '90s. I think it's the hardest genre to do this in. But I I have this theory: if a group can release. Four like all time albums yeah. that somehow propels them into a different like tier, Di- different of stratosphere. Greatness. Of greatness. It, it, it seems like that's the number. Like there's a lot of bands that put out one or two really good albums, maybe even three. It's it seems the toughest jump is from three to four, and it seems yeah. extra difficult in hip hop. I think because it is so genre specific. Right. And a tribe called Quest, they. They did have, it. They yeah, did it. They, they're one of the few that did. Like they belong on the Mount Rushmore of hip hop. Yeah. Um, they had Q-Tip, Five Dog, and Alicia Heed Muhammad, and, and a few like Jerobi. Yeah, he, Buster Rhymes would Buster jump Rimes, in and out of songs. Kind of a them. collective, part of a group called the Native Tongues, which was kind of an early '90s yeah. New York-based collective of. So hip-hop there was this early, artists. like early '90s hip hop is kind of the golden era of hip hop, and there was this really conscious movement where you had simultaneously gangster rap was kind of blowing up and it it was problematic in certain cases because of what it was celebrating and then there was this kind of underground movement of con- more way more conscious hip hop that the native tongues um collective really helped push and a tribe called quest was right at the center of that and they were trying to be much more thoughtful and much more responsible to their their communities and and promote messages that um i think were 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 more thought out and and so that it wasn't just you know record companies capitalizing on an image or Mm -hmm. on a caricature but they actually were using that platform to really try to say something and so tribe called quest and de la would make these like kind of loose concept albums that were tied together just in interesting ways like you'll hear it i think a little bit in the intro to this song and yeah uh, my pick electric relaxation is probably their most Teddy Pendergrass in, <laughs> inspired song. Um, it's it's not very subtle in, in a few cases, but it's got one of the coolest just samples. It's a it's yeah. an old Ronnie Foster jazz sample. Hello, this is your Midnight Marauder program. 
forever. I will be enhancing your cassettes and CDs with certain facts that you may find beneficial. The average bounce meter for your Midnight Marauder program will be in the area of 95 BPM. Listen to the horns at the beginning of the first, the next track here. I will. For Jason's uh, jazz sample reference. Linden Boulevard represent, represent, Zen Tribe Core Quest represent, represent, Zen. The mic is in my hand, I'm never hesitant. My favorite jam back in the day was Eric B for president. Rude boy composer, step to me, you're over. Brothers wanna flex, you're not mad cobra. MC shorty black, there ain't no other, other. Trinity born black like me, your long's grandmother. Tipping shot, they all that. Pipe dog ditto, honey, tell you, man, to chill, chill. Or else you'll be a widow, widow. Did not you know that my style's a top dollar? The five foot assassin, I can flee off his collar. Hip hop scholar, since me and he had to a duck. The hide of Muggsy Bows, complexion of a hockey puck, you better ask somebody on how we flip the script. Come to a tribe show and watch the three kids rip, rip. Queezers in the house, represent, represent. A tribe called Quest represent, represent, Zen. No team in the style, cause it gets a reverent. A tribe called Quest represent, represent, Zen. Uh huh, here we go. You know that I'm the rebel, throwing out the wicked like God did. The did you watch the doc that, uh, I think Michael Rappaport helped make it yeah, on these I guys? Did. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was. Um, it's a it's a cool album. I have a T-shirt. The back cover and front cover, all their album covers kind of became iconic. The back cover was this collective of just faces of like kind of the the current state of underground hip hop. And I have a, mm-hmm. a T-shirt with that back cover on. I was in Arkansas at a record store. I walked in. I was wearing it, and the guy sees me. And he goes. <laughs> he holds his hand up. He goes, Midnight Marauders. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, come on, I'm going to show you right now what you need to see. And he takes me <laughs> right back to the R&B and soul section. He's like, this is where you want to start. <laughs> like, All right. And he was, he was exactly right. Nice. It's funny how like just even these little things just connect people. Just that image. It's, it's yeah. cool. You want to jump yeah. over to Electric Relaxation? Okay. Brandon, you know this song because this is the, the Tribe song I put on your 90s hip hop. Electric relaxation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this it's a very Teddy, Teddy Pendergrass style song. It's a sample of a jazz song by Ronnie Foster called Mystic Brew, and it's so good. Hey, yo, my man Fife Diggy, he got something to say. I like him brown, yellow, Puerto Rican, and Haitian. Mm. Name is Fife Dog from the Zulu Nation. Told you in the jam that we could get down. Now let's knock the boots like the group H-Town. You got DVD all on your bedroom wall. But I'm above the rim and this is how I bore. A gritty little something on the New York street. This is how I represent over this here beat. Talking about you. Yo, I took you out. But sex was on my mind for the whole damn route. So... 
this will be I, this can be a short diversion but it's kind of fun just to like I, I guess let people see how certain people listen to music pull up this song called Mystic Brew by Ronnie Foster and just this that's just the main sample for this and even if you just listen to it for like 10 seconds you can hear like what great hip-hop samplers crate diggers beat makers like this is how they so this is the original track So there's this whole section of jazz music, like a lot of 70s Blue Note, Kudu records that produced this very like pop jazz that has a certain feel. Like Jordan picked one of them for one of his 70s deep tracks. Mm -hmm. And that became the basis of of a lot of samples that they could clear for this era of kind of conscious hip hop. And it's, it's just super cool. They would find tracks like this that just had this perfect beat this perfect groove and then they would repurpose it into these just killer tracks it's super fun for me like it's super fun seeing how they piece these together all right great pick great pick i've called quest yes and it's a great album and they do have four great albums from the 90s um i'm gonna i've got two more from 93 it's my top Let's top knock year. them out. Let's hit, let's hit them. you have any other 93s? No, my next is a 90, 94. I've got two 94s. So I'm going to go next with uh, the Cranberries, Linger, from 1993. Oh, my wife will be so happy with you. I'm glad. I'm so glad. This might be the first episode she ever listens to if I let her know there's a Cranberries <laughs> reference. <laughs> and she'll, that, Anything you want to say about it first? I want to say there's a lot of nostalgia in this for me. Like I, I remember uh, my sister, Rachel, driving us to school in the big van and... And or other places up into Rock Canyon or whatever with with people loading the van and I remember Cranberries plan and Linger and a few other songs from the Cranberries really hit that they, I mean they they cross over to that into that grunge area but they're that female vocalist thing that was that was big in the nineties it's it's just a iconic I, uh, song to me I barely I had to cut out the Sundays for my list yeah I Sundays really are like great Sundays Ten Thousand Maniacs there's a, there's a lot of great. Mm-hmm. Bands from the nineties. Linger, the cranberries. Can't remember her last name. Reardon, something. I think she's from. She's from Ireland. 
Sure sounds like it. I think she passed she away passed in the away, last yeah. year or two. And, but yeah, great voice. They do the kind of double-tracked thing there, and they've got the iconic strings, and that kind of snare, almost the, the kind of um, uh, repetitive snare thing that, mm-hmm. that, that a lot of groups were doing in the 90s, underneath the softer kind of ballady type songs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Cranberries, I, this was my... Well, probably one of my favorite songs of theirs. I didn't own any of their albums, but my sister did, and she drove me around a lot in the in the early nineties. <laughs> in the Harmon Party Van. Yes, <laughs> yes. Along with the, uh, I know what else was playing. In you that were band. in that van. The house oftentimes. <laughs> you were in that van. Uh, what was the the Indigo band with Girls, the same, same singer as the House Martins? Uh, Beautiful South. Beautiful South. Yeah, yeah, Beautiful South and Cranberries and, um, yeah. A lot of stuff. Enya? Uh, prob- probably. So. <laughs> no, I, there was probably some Enya. Um, if I put my my tape in, it was like, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers and R.E.M. And uh, I had a single of the Scorpions, you want, you Winds of Change. <laughs> that was the first single tape I bought. Well, I bought three of them. Jesus Jones, right here, right now. This is the embarrassing part of the episode. <laughs> R.E.M., Shiny Happy People, and Scorpions, Winds of Change. Those are the first tape singles I bought. The mm-hmm. first CD I bought was MC Hammer. Please don't, please Hammer, don't hurt him. Yeah. My taste changed a lot in the next few years. After well, this, that, this is a safe place. This is yeah. The... Well, I stopped listening to 90s, 90s music. Basically, I started listening to <laughs> classic rock and and funk and jazz and, hey, and ska. What, what's your other ninety three? My other ninety three is Radiohead. Creep. Mm. Radiohead had. Uh, That's a surprising Radiohead pick. It's my... If you're, you're going to launch Radiohead here's into why. space. Here's why. No, I know. They had an OK Computer, and they had the Benz, which are better albums than Pablo Honey. I do think Pablo Honey is underrated, and there's several songs on there that I think are as good as any other... I don't even, Creep is by far their most well-known song. It's their yeah. most well-known song, and it was on the soundtrack to singles. That's the other reason I chose it, to represent the 90s. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Creep wasn't? No. Are you sure? Yeah. I'm, what am I thinking of? I'm a thousand of? percent sure. Radiohead was there no Radiohead song? No. Oh, do you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of the sma- the only Smashing Pumpkins song I liked. Drown. Was Drown. on Was on the single yeah. soundtrack. Love that one. Okay, so thank you for correcting me. Um, but I got to uh, <laughs> throw shade by, by at the, the Smashing way, Pumpkins. When was the last so. time that you watched singles? I watched it for the first time like 10 years ago. It's 15 years ago. It's a little weird. Yeah. It's not that good. Yeah. It's, uh-huh. it's But it was so like the soundtrack, the soundtrack was... Really great soundtrack. Was amazing, great Jimmy, and, and Creep was not on the soundtrack. Correct, uh, but Creep was a great song from Pablo Honey. I I actually had three different songs I rotated through. Um, Radiohead was to, it is and was an amazing band from the '90s. I think their albums in some ways got better and better, but in some ways it was just different. And so, to, if you go back and listen to Pablo Honey, I think that you'll be surprised. I don't even think they good. like Creep anymore, do they? Isn't that the song they refused they went, to play? Yeah, they went for a long time without playing. I don't think that was because of the song itself, other than rather than the popularity. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the same way Red Hot Chili Peppers hated Under the Bridge, or at least the guitar player who left. You know, they got you know, and, and probably Kurt Cobain kind of hated how popular Nevermind got. Yeah. Um, the popularity sometimes kills it for the for the artists. They like the money, I bet, but... It helps. Yeah. But another sample of the uh, the Pixies slash Nirvana slash yeah. all these other bands. Yeah. The, the Quiet Loud Quiet. Yeah. The, this song probably, for me, has the most epic bringing the, in of the distortion. Yeah. Because it's... It's so distinct, yeah. so drastic. 
Yeah. You're just like an angel. Your skin makes me cry. You float like a feather in a beautiful world. I wish I was special. But I'm a that it's really only the guitar that changes during the chorus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drums and bass are doing most doing of the, the same thing. Stops, yeah. stops his pedal and turns it into a different instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, really cool song that uh, got a lot of people's attention when it came out. Mm-hmm. So I, I have but to I, confess, I, after this song, I, I decided they were part of the pop MTV machine and I mm-hmm. went all out on, the, on mm-hmm. Radiohead. It you took know. me... 25 years to come back to them. Yeah, and listen. I, yeah. I, 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 well, and if it had just been this album, like they would have been another Bush. Right. Right. There was. But better. I mean, that album's a lot better yeah. than any of those those Bush live, whatever. It's a, it's a great album, but go on. I just can't but, leave it you know, right if, there. Yeah, if knowing what they became after that. Right. Yeah. Like if if it had only been this, there wasn't that much unique about them. I don't. Yeah, I don't even think they're they're part of the discussion right now. I think they're barely a footnote of that era. Right, if they it, were pretty underground. They'd be like, remember that one song that did that cool thing? Yeah, they were pretty cool underground song. alternative. Um, and to that point, you know, they didn't. They they evolved and did amazing things. And to me, they're the closest band that did kind of what the Beatles did in terms of evolving and. Maintaining their popularity while they evolved in a way that didn't feel like it was a sellout. Like, oh, they're they're popular because they're sellouts. No, it was like they were pushing boundaries in a, in weird ways and different ways. And it was it. I don't think it ever came up. Of, oh, Radiohead's a, a sellout band. Just like no one thought about that with the Beatles as they pushed limits and 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 did different things with their records. Um, so and I think they, they got gradually less and less popular mainstream. Yeah, yeah, but it. it I they mean, had they had a couple of mild hits on the second out of the bands. Yeah, I think high, high and dry. They were, and they were huge hits. High, high and dry, fake plastic. You think they got more play bands. than than? Uh, well, this, this song one? is an outlier, but that album was way more popular. Probably. Sold way more, yeah, and yeah. OK Computer was even more popular. But what than song the bands. from OK Computer played on the radio ever? Yeah, they didn't have a radio song. On I OK think they Computer. did. Yeah, they did. Um, I think by popular you're meaning that people that are really into music like them a lot. Sold a lot of records. But different different from what the Beatles were doing where like constant yeah. number one hits. Hey, uh, quick time out. How are you doing on time? Yeah, I'm, you probably got to go. I probably got to go, yep. So you guys are going to do your 94s and then I'll do my 94 and we'll go yeah. from there. Yeah. yeah, and then we'll just dub in. I'll be like... Um, I'm Jordan, and I want to make a comment about this song now. <laughs> See you, Jordan. Say hi to mom and dad for me. Will do. See you. Good picks. 
Okay, now that now that Jordan's gone, uh, let's my, see my, how we really feel. My name is Jordan Harmon, and I'd like to pick Chumba Wumba <laughs> for my next song. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, who uh, who went last? You went before I did. I'll yeah, you've only gone two. I think you're up. Okay, so for 1994, here's a. Uh, there's kind of its own genre that we haven't got into yet. This is the the British phenomenon known as shoegaze. Mm. Uh, probably came off of Cocteau Twins type stuff, but adding like more heavily distorted guitars, reverb, but still kind of that slow, kind of just get in the zone, trance kind of stuff. L- little uh, My Bloody Valentine? Uh, not them. Really? Yeah. Who'd you pick for shoegaze? The the best of the shoegaze bands, slow dive. Ah, yeah, wow. yeah. I think they are. Severely... You like them better than my bloody. Oh Mountain. yeah. Oh, not even. You're not even hesitating. Well, here's the deal. I like almost every shoegaze band better than my bloody Valentine. Really? Yeah, they kind of were the pioneers of it. Yeah. I think because they they had some stuff in the late '80s, right? Yeah. And then their their career is longer than when I did, realized. When did Loveless come out? Ninety one, I think. It's early nineties. It's yeah. it, it weirdly overlapped with Nirvana. I was surprised that at the the parallel time it had. I thought it was after. Yeah. But it's not. Um. Yeah, I I was tempted to actually choose them as my most overrated. But since that would only be critically, like nobody. I was going to say I didn't know anybody. No mainstream person knows yeah. knows them, but. Like uh, Pitchfork has them at number one, I think. Yeah, list enemy and Pitchfork loves my bloody Valentine. They were ninety one. Mm-hmm. Loveless was ninety one, and that's one that I've you know based on all these other recommendations and fans, I keep trying to go back to and listen to it. And I like it. There's I, things about it I like, but overall, it's just too boring. I for always me. wonder if part of the credit that it gets is because of. When it came out, like if that same album would have come out in like '98, I don't know that it would be '94. Yeah, I don't know that people would be as astounded by it. It existed, like, and it's so important. If that album doesn't exist, your pick right now may not exist. Could be. Um, and so it has importance that way. But I agree, it's not a, an album I like spend a lot of time with. Yeah. But when I think about it in context, probably I similar go, to Nevermind in that way. Yeah kind of opened the gates for other other similar things but yeah uh, that album it's because the the lyrics can't understand them and they aren't doing that cool of things with their voices uh the guitar you get some cool sounds out of the drums it could have just been hit and play on a casio keyboard and so yeah Sorry, my bloody Valentine, but you're going to have to write better songs if you want to make this list. So, yeah, I'm going with Slow Dive. Um, they had a pretty short career, but then reunited a couple years ago and put out a Dynamite album. Were you uh, in early on on Shoegaze? Uh, this was probably when I got into it, 94. So you were an innovator. See, I didn't even most well, of the shoegaze bands one. didn't thanks. even hit me until like a decade after. Yeah, this is another one thanks to Peter Bowen yeah. and Kelly Chambers. That, I wonder if it's because they went to London. At least Pete did. I know he did a study abroad thing. That would London. make sense because none I, of the people that I, I don't ran know with, how they even like the it. the hardcore music heads. The, and, and my groups overlapped with yours a little bit. Like shoegaze wasn't even a thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, by the time this, I mean, this album came out already before I knew about it, but around this time, you had uh, Catherine Wheel, mm -hmm. Swerve Driver, The Verve, um, and I, yeah, I liked a lot of those. Uh, this is from their album Suvlaki, and the track, my favorite from there, Suvlaki Space Station. Uh, this has a lot of the elements of, of shoegaze in it, and especially, I love what they're doing with the, the snare drum on this thing, with the, the delay. So, check it out, Slow Dive, Suvlaki sta Space Station. define or describe shoegaze to somebody that is unfamiliar or yeah. uninitiated uh so the the songs all tend to be slower as far as beats per minute uh more ballady um but then heavy on effects like guitar effects um similar to the, the cocteau twins song that i played last episode that one that whole album believe it or not, is recorded on acoustic guitar, but they add so many effects to it that it, it yeah. changes the sound of the instrument. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of reverbs, a lot of delays. There, I think the effects are oftentimes also are kind of like dreamlike. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, it's this weird... It's not like a punch-you-in-the-mouth distortion. It's more like wispy, dreamlike. It, mm -hmm. it, it's it's a, a, a kind of a distinct feel yeah. once you recognize it. And I think the term, they they got it, it was derogatory from the British press, uh, criticizing all these bands that just stand up there on the stage and look down. Yeah, not a lot of these, movement in well, the... they got all these pedals that they have to keep yeah. pushing <laughs> during the songs. But yeah, it's uh, it's its own vibe, and I I really dig slow dive. They I like them the best of them because they've got the most variety. I think they've got so right now Rachel Goswell singing, um, but Neil Halstead also sings. Sometimes they do harmonies, sometimes they just alternate songs. And some of the songs they have it's just acoustic guitar. Uh, their album after this one, Pygmalion, uh, is much more stripped down. Like, really, really low-key stuff. And then after that, they break up, and just the two of them, the singers, form uh, Mojave 3, mm. which is more of like a slightly country. Um, but, yeah, really cool stuff. I don't... Um, I, I don't... 
get into shoegaze a ton. I I dabble. Um, I always enjoy it when I'm there with it. I don't spend a ton of time with it. Um, I was familiar with these guys, and and then obviously my bloody Valentine, and then I don't. I just don't get into it a ton. Mm-hmm. I like it, it, but it's like I kind of I have to be in the right mood for it. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of a hits a specific mood for me, but it's always cool. Like I always listen to it and think, oh, that's cool. Okay, what do you got? Um, all right, ninety. What are we on? Ninety. Ninety four. Four. All right, ninety four. I'm gonna delve into the world of lo-fi, and this is. Again, like I feel like this is a res- kind of a response to grunge. This particular artist or band um, had been doing stuff long before this, but this year was kind of an important year for them. Um, you familiar with Guided by Voices? Mm-hmm. Do you know their story at all? The no. lead singer. So the lead singer Robert Pollard is he's a teacher, and he was teaching fourth grade, like. So this their album that came out in ninety four. Eighty eight albums. Yeah, Google says Robert Pollard has recorded over two thousand songs. <laughs> um, so he was a teacher. He was teaching in ninety four. I think he was like thirty eight. He was almost forty. He was a mm-hmm. fourth grade teacher, and he had this little collective that he called Guided by Voices, where he would invite different artists to come in and they would record songs out of his garage. Mm-hmm. This the album that he put out in ninety four is called Fantastic. What a life. For reals. You it's get, called get, you get a little of everything in that life. Absolutely. <laughs> it's called B Thousand. He recorded it on a four track mixer in his garage and he was contemplating like just kind of ending his music career and then this album kind of took on a a weird life and it became kind of critically acclaimed it's not on a major label it's very lo-fi um and it's a super cool album but he he's this very prolific songwriter this album i think represents a significant jump in the quality and craft of him as a lyricist and just this fascinating life i think shortly after this he stopped teaching but he was teaching till he was almost 40 like he didn't become he's kind of like james murphy in that he didn't become a recognized musician until like almost 40 early 40s which is a different track than most people Mm -hmm. and so i think he approaches his music with a kind of a different level of of authenticity he's very much just trying to create art over 2000 songs very prolific the song i picked from this album which is a super cool album I uh, hope you picked Hot Freaks. I didn't. Do you like that song? I've never heard any of these songs, but the I song like the I, name of it. The song I picked is I Am a Scientist, and lyrically, it's super cool. It's got one of my favorite lyrics of the whole decade in this song. Um, so go ahead and, and cue it up. Play I Am a Scientist by Guided by Voices off of B-1000.
that's the one. I'm a lost soul. I shoot myself with wa- rock and roll. The hole I dig is bottomless. It's so cool. And the whole story I'm not, behind it. I'm not sure it, what that second guitarist is doing. Sounds like they, uh, they're playing it for the first time. It could be. It, it, it could be. that. They, so it's a, literally a collective of musicians that would meet up in his garage and they would record tracks on a four-track mixer. Um mostly self-produced put out on a very very small label mm-hmm. and it became this important collection of songs that um a lot of other people have referenced he's kind of like a towns van zant figure in that he was just wandering through life making songs and they resonated with a lot of other people that but that he musicians. also had an album that came out this year already yeah he's 2020 he's never stopped he's over 2,000 songs. And three albums in 2019. <laughs> Robert, Robert Pollard. Very prolific. Wow. All right. Still on 1994. Um, this is one of, one of my all-time favorites. I didn't learn about him till a year after this. Uh, when I started dating my wife, he was probably her favorite artist, or at least one of them. This is Jeff Buckley. Mm. Um I mean, we we hear a lot of uh, early death stories in rock and roll. Mm. He he drowned in the the river in Memphis. I think he and his band were there recording his second album. This one is a huge loss because he only had one finished album. I was going to say one studio album, yeah. right? It's called Grace. I'm going to play the title track from that. Um, so you didn't pick probably the most popular song on this album. Hallelujah. Right. Which, uh, word to the wise, Jordan might have picked it. Right. He's not here right now, but he dropped a hint that maybe... Which is a a Leonard Cohen cover. Yeah. Um, And that one was, yeah, understandably very popular. Not at the time. Right. This guy never got any airplay. I never heard about him until after. Posthumously. Until Shrek came out. Yeah, a little bit before. Hallelujah had legs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that song is problematic now because it's just so overplayed. Um, overplayed and overcovered. Right. Mostly overcovered on American Idol or <laughs> whatever else. Like, seriously, every every season there's yeah. a few people that do it, that it's, song. It's and so... once it's on the Shrek movie, like... Yeah, then it's that, well. Then it officially becomes a caricature. Yeah. It is actually a. a Which, why is that? Version. Why is a song like that on Shrek? It's just so out of place. Um, but yeah, his version of it is fantastic. Um, so you went with the self-titled, yeah, or the title the track. Song, excuse me, the song Grace. I could I could choose any song on this album. I think as far as an album goes, like song for song, this is a dynamite stuff, and he kind of covers a little everything. Um, Hallelujah's cover. I think he's got two other covers on the album, uh, but most of them are original. So, so yeah, here we go. Grace by Jeff Buckley. Stay. No, no, no. 
Jeff Buckley, he's the complete package. I mean, incredible voice. Uh, can play the guitar like a beast. And uh, writes these really emotive, complex songs. Like, I love what I love about this song is you never know where it's going. Like, it's not any of the standard chord progressions. So, the first time hearing it, it's like the whole thing's a surprise. Like, well, what, where's this going next? Um, was he primarily a songwriter or a guitarist? Like, what would you describe him as first, first and foremost? Uh, a songwriter. Yeah, but he. Did he do have, it all on guitar? So I got to confess, I've never made it through this whole album. I mm-hmm. like it. I've never fallen in love with it. Um, I know a lot of people that like it. There's likely two songs from this album now that are being preserved, which is fascinating for a guy that only recorded one studio album. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely left a mark. Um, I don't think it was. We talked about it. Like I don't think it was a. At the time it came out. It wasn't like a... Peaked at number 149 in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I had no... I'd never heard of him until late 95 when I... So a year after this. Um, he... His first... He released an EP earlier, live at Chenet, I think it's pronounced. Oh, I was, was going to ask. So he played a lot in cafes, and that one's just him and electric guitar. So on that album, it's more, very much more singer songwriter. Yeah. So like with a guy like Otis Redding who goes too soon, there's this mm-hmm. whole back catalog that comes out after he dies, like yeah. s- several albums worth of material. Does that exist for Buckley? Was there mm-hmm. like a collection of? Well, it's not. It, there's not a ton of stuff, um, but the uh, you know initially this. This live EP is released as like a four or five songs on it mm-hmm. before this album comes out. Then after he dies, they release the the two disc version because he played at this cafe a ton and recorded had tons of recordings of it. Uh, he covers uh, the way that long, young lovers do Van Morrison, mm-hmm. great one. And then he was working on a second album, which they did release posthumously. And then he had a ton of live shows. That, uh, all right, I'll give it another try. Yeah, you've you've talked me into it. I'll give it another I li- try. I like all the songs on here. Um, Do you think I'll like it or hate it? I think you'll. I think you'll like it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay is that it for? Our... I've got one more oh. ninety-four. Well, let's do it. So we're getting through ninety-four, right? Yeah. Yeah, I got one more ninety-four. Um, back into the world of hip hop. Uh, there is a super important producer slash DJ that um, kind of starts to make a huge splash in the early 90s. And his name is DJ Premier. He he came in on a lot of really important songs and albums. He's part of a group called Gangstar. DJ Premier uh, Premier and Guru made up the, the duo of Gangstar. And Premier, like... There's a term you'll even hear, like Primo Beats is a a beat that Premier made. And he just had this really incredible ear for taking usually old jazz tracks 
and turning them into a lot of times he could take this the song that I pick is a really interesting example of him taking um kind of an upbeat jazz track and turning it into something almost si- like sinister sounding and his use of drums is kind of legendary drum uh I guess drum machines and so a primo beat would almost guarantee that you would have a song that was going to sound good. He would produce it really well um, for for what they were trying to communicate. Kind of famously, the way I've, I listened to an interview with him last year, and he talked about how like his production mode was he had this old, I think it was like a Mazda hatchback with a huge system in it. And he would make stuff in the studio and then to test it, to make sure it sounded the way he wanted to, he would take it out and everything he produced, he would listen to in his car. And if it sounded good in his car, that was his litmus test. That was how he yeah. knew it was going to, yeah. it was going to be good. And I love that. Like, I love that That's smart because that is where most people are going to listen to, especially in a situation where they're going to crank it up. That was his theory. That's where most people would listen to it. And if it sounded good there, then he knew it sounded really good. Mm -hmm. And so this song that I kept, um, that I'm preserving, it's my favorite Primo beat. And he did some incredible stuff. He worked with Nas on Nas's famous album, Illmatic. He worked with, I mean, the list is extensive of people that he worked with. This is just one of his own, Gangstar. It's off an album called Hard to Earn. And the, the name of the song is called Code of the Streets. And the sample here is an old jazz sample, a jazz cover of um, Roger Miller's Little Green Apples uh, by a guy named Monk something. Anyway, he flipped it and turned it into this incredible beat for uh, off of Code of the Streets. In the life they're living, you can't have step. It starts with the young ones doing crowds for fun. And if you ain't down, you'll get played out, son. So let's get a car, you know I fly with. Get a dent, pull a screwdriver, and be all quick with the dope ride, yeah, and a rowdy crew. We could bag us a fence and an Audi too. Even a Jeep or van, goddamn, we're getting our show. Take a trip up the strip and be like stars, so it doesn't matter if the cops be scoping. They can't do jack, that's why a young brother's open. Anything, anywhere, any place. Fuck while in another court case. It's the code of the streets. They might say that we're a menace to society, but at the same time, I say, why is it me? Am I the target for destruction? What about the system and total corruption? I can't work at no fast food joint. I got some talent, so don't you get my point? I'll organize. So you can find lists of like most the best. Primo beats. This will typically be on that list. I mean, yeah, it's it's up there. So I I wanted to make sure I preserved a Primo track, and this was the one. This is the one I wanted to keep because it's my favorite favorite beat that he made. Um, and this is kind of the classic interplay between Premier Premier and Guru. Guru has kind of this even keeled, subtle delivery, and then Primo will make his beats. And um, mix in, like, he'll kind of scratch with lyrics sometimes from the samples, work those in, which is nice. Cool. 
I'll, I'll have to. I'll listen to more of that. You listen to more Jeff Buckley. Oh, Jeff Buckley for Gang Star Exchange. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I like it. Right. <laughs> okay, does that wrap it up for I part one? I think that one? wraps it up. What do you? Uh, what any any concluding thoughts on the first half of the nineties? Um. Well, I think uh, our our songs are not at all representative of what most people were listening to in the 90s. (laughs) I agree. Jordan's was probably the closest to, like, I mean, he had the Cranberries and and Soundgarden. Well, you had Rage Against the Machine and Nirvana. Both of yours probably captured more of what was being listened to than than mine did. Um, Mine captures just my own pretentiousness, which... What but, better? What but better even place? That, like none of this stuff was like number one hits. No, it wasn't, and I think that's representative. We're, Which is we're pr- better represented by. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave. <laughs> like this was playing nonstop. <laughs> right, but this wasn't like. This wasn't the voice of the people. The voice of the people wasn't. Was it? Right, said Fred. I'm too sexy. <laughs> this was like the soundtrack of the era because <laughs> MTV was like reaching its pinnacle, and this had the video, and then Top 40 and MTV oh, yeah. like they provided our soundtrack, but it wasn't necessarily like. I mean, this isn't saying anything. This doesn't speak for a generation. Rock and roll speaks for its generation. This doesn't speak for a generation. I think you'd be surprised how well this speaks for, <laughs> right for <now>. a generation. <laughs> right now, there's like the 90s version of a hippie somewhere wearing a right said Fred t-shirt. I'm just like, yep, that's the one. Those guys really got me. Those guys really, really got me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think also, like, we have to, I mean, we can be honest, the three of us, we're music nerds, and we weren't top 40 guys, and so this decade, I think for all of us, represents the decade where we started to find our own lane and find the thing that really represented us. Like, I can remember mm-hmm. you wearing... Rage Against the Machine or like a Tool T-shirt in Mm. in school, like that started to become part of your identity, and the music that I listened to became part of my identity. And none of us were identifying with Right Said Fred, so that was the (laughs) like that was the big piece of the culture. But we, this is a personality test at a certain level as well. These lists, and and for this particular decade. This was like where really our personality and music started to connect. So we, yeah, I think in choosing the songs to preserve, we were looking for the ones that are going to stand the test of time and mean something to us and aren't necessarily just uh, a snapshot in what what was playing a lot on MTV at the Well time. and like for me selfishly I'm I'm intentionally rewriting history a little bit like I don't want to preserve right said Fred I want to reserve preserve faith no more on Mike Patton because I think it's way more kickass than right said Fred so <laughs> like if I have the luxury of getting to um subtly influence the future race of aliens that's trying to reconstruct our our art I don't think they need certain pieces so I'm I'm selfishly picking the ones that I like. 
Okay. Well, it's it's been a good, uh, good first excited. half of the de- decade. I'm excited to hear what song you um, run us out on. What first half of the decade '90s song you oh, pick? Oh, I think you I think you know what's what's coming right here. Oh no. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Name that tune is going to be fun. I'm curious to see how qu- how quick on the trigger we are. You have been letting the music. No, I can't. I can't you do that can't during the song. You can't even do it. Can't do that during the song. I do like it though. <laughs> I do like it. This was this was 1993. Big hit in 93. Okay. Till next time. We hope you'll be letting the music be your master. Bye.